Welcome to Allison's Wonderland. I'm your host, Allison Packard. Join us as we journey through the looking glass and down the rabbit hole into the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Hey, do a girl a favor and please subscribe to this podcast and go on iTunes and leave us a good review. If you like the show, please help spread the word. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. Have you ever wondered what goes into casting some of the video games that you love to play? Well, today we're here with casting director and co-founder of the Help Network, Julia Scheffling, to chat all about it. My name is Allison Packard, and this is Allison's Wonderland. Hey, Julia. Hi. How's it going? It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for coming in. By the way, I love your necklace. Thank you. It's like a, a power-up or something. It's is a it? moonstone. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Does it represent your birthstone or anything? Uh, no, I love crystals, uh-huh. and uh, moonstones are uh, a good crystal. I'm not going to know the properties of it, so I'm not going to pretend, but, <laughs> uh, but I think it's really pretty. I have a crystal as well. It's quartz. <laughs> yeah. Oh, crystal buds. Yes, yes. And like, it was just a full moon yesterday too, right? So. It's important. It's getting witchy in <laughs> here. It's getting witchy. getting witchy in here. I feel like there's something about casting in witches. So, you know. Really? Is that true? I do. What, why do you think that is? Intuition. Ah. I say that I do intuition-based casting. Interesting. I try not to be biased with uh-huh. my intuition. Obviously, we all have implicit bias. But yeah, I just do a lot on feeling. Really? So mm-hmm. is it something you hear and then it just evokes something within you? Yeah. Ex- does it make me feel? Ah, amazing. And when you're listening to a hundred files, knowing whether or not something, you know, vibrates within you Mm -hmm. is kind of how you have to determine it. And then trusting that gut and then other people being okay with that, that was a process. (laughs) (laughs) So do you sometimes have to advocate for the people that you want on a project? Yes and no. I try to curate a menu. Mm -hmm. So I definitely don't make the selection unless there's some kind of like authenticity or identity where, you know, we're really trying to find someone specific and I think someone represents it and maybe they didn't necessarily see it in an audition, but I know for a fact they can do it. That's when I might push someone along. But generally I try to just give them like five to 10 people that I know can do the job. Some are a little bit newer, some are definitely going to be more experienced and then just kind of a rainbow of sounds and performance. And then the client ultimately is the one that makes the casting decision. Exactly. And sometimes they'll have to, you know, do some callbacks or something like that in order to narrow it down. Or perhaps they know right away exactly who they want, but it varies. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get involved in casting? So I like to say back in like high school because I really liked being in theater, (laughs) but Uh I wasn't actually, I wasn't actually casting anything, but I liked being stagehand, assistant director. I did a couple theater productions in school cool, but nothing. I didn't like being on stage. Where'd you grow? In New York. Okay. Yes. In, in the city or? In the city. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in they the have city. a great theater program there. It's a Marymount school. And so I just got to be around a lot of it. And I taught it like the theater camp, just, you know, the little kids. And I just didn't really enjoyed it. I thought I was going to be in, that I was going to be in music. I wanted to own a record label, Ooh. but it was right when Apple started selling songs for 99 cents. Uh, <laughs> and it was not the best the Business time. model. <laughs> went out the door. <laughs> um, but I was in college uh, studying recording arts. So. Okay. What's your music jam? I, oof, I like a lot of different kinds of things. <laughs> what would you Honestly, eclectic? right now though, I want a karaoke to Olivia Rodrigo. That is my goal. Uh, <laughs> I yes. have not 
not had that pleasure yet. Let's bring it back. I realized like, oh, I haven't done karaoke since that's that album was out. And that is like the one I sing in my car all the time. So oh hit it, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) If we had it like queued up the karaoke track queued up. Here you go. Here's your mic. I have done karaoke in a studio. It is a fun way to turn it up. Um, Oh, really? Like one of those cool kind of No, we just had some nerds get some computers together and (laughs) pipe it through the studio and we went to the booth and we had a our we didn't even have cameras set up or in anything. The booth? That's amazing. Yeah, we had the mic set up in the booth. It was awesome. It was and the was most there fun. like a monitor? Could you hear yourself in there? I think you could. Yeah, like that's a yes. key part yes, of karaoke. We absolutely yeah. could. I think you could also hear yourself because it was pretty content. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yes, amazing. we we digress. Wow. Yes, we digress. Um, but it's it's interesting to to hear all about your um, <laughs> the background. Synthesis. So yeah. so yeah, I was in college for recording arts. I thought I was going to be in the music industry. I ended up getting a job. I actually didn't get a job at Starbucks the same week <laughs> that I got a job at Treyarch, which is the Call of Duty developer. And so Congratulations. I was, thank you. <laughs> it was serendipitous, but I was a receptionist there for two years during college. I did everything from like building Ikea furniture to mm-hmm. like activating key cards for people <laughs> and picking up mail. And Yeah, but you still don't um, know in a caramel macchiato. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> this girl does. <laughs> I, yeah, I definitely don't. One of my friends did get a job at the same Starbucks though, and then I got him an internship at the game developer and he still works there today. Oh my like gosh. 15 plus years. Free drinks for life. So, <laughs> so I worked at Treyarch for two and a half years in the front desk and then I moved into the sound department. While I was there, I got to know a lot of people being at the front desk, but also because I kind of knew that and I kind of knew that I wanted to be in it. So I was like, let me start meeting these people in the sound department, understand Mm -hmm. how they got here and maybe make them listen to my crappy band recordings. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so can you tell me like what EQ I should put on this bass? And they're like, we have a freaking deadline in three days, but sure, just bump it up here. But they would always help me. And I, I I developed a rapport. And so when I graduated from college, I moved into the sound department there and I basically took over all the stuff they did didn't want to do, and this <laughs> which is was dialogue. No, this is in LA. Oh, okay. Yes. I went to Loyola Marymount and oh. Treyarch is in Santa Monica. Amazing. I think maybe now they're remote, but they did at the time it was Call of Duty. They had some uh, Sean Palmer snowboarder. They had Kelly Slater pro surfer. They had Kung Fu Panda. They had Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And so I worked on Call of Duty and Spider-Man. In the sound department, I would manage all of the dialogue. So I would go to all the recording sessions. I, I wasn't necessarily in charge of hiring the actors, Ooh. but facilitating them in and out. We had a studio in the dev space. Mm -hmm. So they would come and record there and I had to be at every session. I was taking notes. I was facilitating editorial if I wasn't doing it myself. And then I was implementing it into the game. So I was learning how to like get sounds in a game Mm -hmm. and be part of a game development team. Uh, It was amazing but also very draining and hard. Long hours. Yeah, long hours, not a lot of free time, Mm -hmm. a lot of weekends. And so after about four or five years there, I left and kind of started freelancing for all sorts of audio vendors and worked for a couple more Sound Deluxe and then started Formosa Interactive with Chip and then just kind of worked behind the scenes on a lot of games like The Last of Us and Uncharted and God of War and Skylanders. And And was that on the audio side or when you were working in narrative? Those are all on the audio side, but the narrative involvement has definitely come in more the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. like more deeply in the last couple of years. To get to casting, when I was at some of those audio vendors, I tipped my toe in it with Monster High. Ginny McSwain was the the voice director on the first Monster High. And 
and she was too busy to cast. So I was like basically like uncredited little casting director mm-hmm. and I got to work on that and I loved it. Wow. And so I always kind of knew it was something I want to do. But it, until kind of the last few years at Formosa Interactive, I wasn't able to really do it. Once I was there, I started kind of dipping my toe in mm-hmm. it with celebrity casting. And then I was able to start finding clients who were willing to take a chance because up until a few different casting directors started a few years ago, most of the people doing casting for games were the voice directors. Mm-hmm. They just got too busy because they're in such demand now. And so adding that to their plate of being in studio nine to six every day was just too much. And also like the authenticity and all the kind of things that are needed now. Mm -hmm. It's just it's it's a job within itself. Yeah, it took kind of a travel of kind of figuring out how to put productions together, how to pay actors, how Mm -hmm. to schedule and knowing all that stuff before going into the deeper casting side. And now I get to do that. Can you talk a little bit about Formosa Interactive Mm -hmm. and also how you and Matt. <laughs> yeah, sure. So we were at Sound Deluxe together and we worked both. I worked under him for him for about a year. And then I moved to his side lateral <laughs> where I actually Everybody. helped do business development for the sound department at Sound Deluxe. I always, after doing that, uh, it was fine, but I missed dialogue. I missed actors. I miss that side of things so much. Mm-hmm. And so when Sound Deluxe was starting to fall apart, because uh, it, it's no longer with us, we, I kind of said to Chip, whatever you do next, I'm I'm back under mm-hmm. you. I don't mm-hmm. want to do this side thing again. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be back in voice. I want to be back in dialogue. And so we had an opportunity to start the department at Formosa Interactive. And so it was him and I the first few days and months. And then we started building a team slowly. We were there for about five years years, five and a half years, and then left to start Help Networks. Yeah. So and that's and that was wow. four years and change ago. Tell us about Help Network and your mission. So the Help Network is a it's a group of creative entertainment freelancers. And we have creatives from every area of the industry who we've worked with over the years, who we've kind of collected as people who we want to help work on game productions. And one of the hardest parts with game productions is that, A, it's hard to get your first game credit. And B, it's hard to get hired as a freelancer in some of these big mammoth groups. So Mm. to be able to have a group like ours say, let's say you need a writer. Okay, what kind of writer? We start to dig into that and we can give you a selection of six to 10 writers who might be up your alley. Some might have game credits, some might not, but they also are really good writers and they just need a chance. And so we've been able to do that with writers and sound designers, voice directors. We've Mm. kind of started off a few new voice directors on their career, as well as hiring in the old faithfuls that have done all of the amazing things that you know and love. So we kind of collect these people And then we curate projects for our clients and say, okay, we think that this recording studio and this voice director and this writer might be best for what you're looking for. Or maybe they just want one little thing and we say, these are your options for that. So we kind of cater to each one and what they need. And how do you find your talent within your, for your network? There are some are people we've worked with forever. And then we are really, really passionate about finding underrepresented Mm. community members. And so we do a lot of outreach and then we do a lot of like training and teaching. We do a lot of webinars as well as try and find creatives within the industry who are willing to shadow, teach, mentor, and then Mm -hmm. clients who are willing to give a shot. Mm. I do a lot of sleuthing on the internet. (laughs) 
casting is really interesting. I cast for more than just cast, you know, my actors. Mm. I famously say I cast my hairdresser because <laughs> I couldn't find a hairdresser in my area. And I like dug and dug and dug on Instagram until I found the lady that was my style. Uh-huh. And now I'm you know, very faithful to her. So it's just a, it's, and it's also like recruiting, you know, it's, it's kind of like finding the right person for the job, uh, even when it's not acting. So I kind of find that it, it works out beyond just the casting. Is it the recruiters at the company that then hire you or individual teams? The people that know us the best are typically audio directors, just because of the positions Mm -hmm. that Chip and I have held at previous companies. But we are starting to get more into the narrative side of things. So we are working with writers. We work with a lot of consultants, people who can represent the groups, places, things, cultures that games are being created about where they don't necessarily have them on the development team. Wow. So trying to find a lot of those resources so that people can be representative, but authentic too. That's amazing. And you guys also do staged readings of new scripts. And- yes. Our SWAT team is one of the coolest things. Jennifer Hale created she's it. She's on the show. We uh, love Jennifer. She's fabulous. And we're big fans of Skills Hub too. Jennifer Hale, as well as Sissy Jones and Sarah Amale with Chip kind of started the SWAT program where there's a group of union actors who are willing to give their time for two table reads of your script, two two-hour table reads of your scripts before the casting process. So anybody that's in the kind of pre-casting phase of mm-hmm. their project, mostly games, but we've offered it for other genres as well, so that they will read through and help you workshop your script. And we've found such remarkable developments with those <laughs> because the actors learn so much about the game development process and then the, the game developers learn so much about the actor's process by just by the questions they're asking Mm. and the interpretation they took off the script without direction or context or those types of things. Interesting. And is it bigger companies that come for that service? We've helped all sorts of companies, big big companies and indies as well. It's free. So it's kind of, it's open to whomever has a script that they want read. Amazing. Wow. Very, very cool. And what about, can people get involved with that? How do people? Yes, it's a closed roster, but they are often accepting Mm -hmm. new actors whenever we do kind of a pass through. So you can always reach out to the help network. That's through your website. Mm -hmm. I'll make sure to put that in the liner notes (laughs) as if this was like a record. As like, yeah, right. Really cool. (laughs) (laughs) So I know you have a new book coming out, which is very exciting. Tell us all about it. So, I'm really pleased that I can say yeah. that it will be out on July 6th. <gasps> That's so soon. It's oh so my God, the timing is perfect. <laughs> I, I didn't want to commit to it because so many things have challenged me in this process. Yep. So I was afraid to commit too early to it. Yeah. But now it seems we're very much steaming ahead. So yes, July 6th. 2022. Already, 2022. It's in already like available for pre-order on Amazon and Barnes oh. & Noble. And I uh, may be recording my audiobook here soon. Uh, so, <laughs> Pencil me in. Um, so, yeah, I, I am so excited about it. It's called The Art and Business of Acting for Video Games. I had started doing a little bit of... I was trying to write some articles on LinkedIn and kind of start kind of bridging the gap between developers and actors, understanding terms, trying to make it easier for people. Mm-hmm. And as I started doing that, I realized that I thought 
I had enough information. And then as I started writing the book, I realized I had a lot of information. And it is, I believe, the best place for actors to find the tools to book jobs in video games, which is the goal. And I go through a lot of the best practices that just aren't widely known. Mm. Just a a little tidbit for, for you and your folks would be like the best practice of reading through the lines once and then doing a second pass versus doing two takes of each line. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a really minimal thing. And sometimes like, 60 auditions come in and you only have two that did it a different way, but we're probably not going to pass on the two that did it a different way. Mm -hmm. And we're probably not going to pass it back to you either just because of timing and volume. So just understanding those best practices that nobody's kind of shouting from the rooftops. There's also some sample scripts in there. There are exercises after each chapter so that you can kind of practice what I'm talking about. I do a history of performance and video games, which is probably one of the things I'm most proud of because I had never really conceptualized it that deeply. Sissy Jones had actually mm-hmm. done some presentations around industry conferences about mm-hmm. a little bit about voice and and how it's changed. And so I kind of took what she did and ran with it uh-huh. and added when, you know, motion capture came in and wow. what what that looked like. And I learned some incredible things and it's, it's a nice little summary now too. So. That's amazing because mm-hmm. it's the type of thing where it's not like that information is widely available in one source. So you've kind of put it all together so we can have it in print. That's the goal. Yeah. How exciting. Where can we get the book? So you can find it on Amazon and on Uh barnesandnoble.com. And uh, you just search my name or the book title, The Art and Business of Acting for Games. I also have uh, actingforgames.com is is the pathway to it. Hey, now, that's a perfect (laughs) URL. Very (laughs) Google. Well, we can't wait. That sounds amazing. How many pages did it end up? It ended up at 228. Amazing. So formatting and whatnot. Got some cute little illustrations in there, but not oh. too many. A handful of pictures. It's not yeah. a picture book. It's not yeah, just it's not a yeah. picture book. <laughs> but yeah, it's it should be digestible. One of my okay. uh, beta readers said that he was able to read it in one sitting and that was very important to him. So I have not been able to read it in one sitting, but maybe that's because I wrote in getting through it is harder. So yes, that person does not have children. <laughs> yes, precisely. That is exactly right. Mommy they don't read not. nothing in one sitting. <laughs> Well, so we'll have to do the audiobook soon. So yes. that, that's an option too. Um, and then there's ebook and printed. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. I can't wait. I'm going to pick it up the day it comes out. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> so Ju- July 6th. July 6th. Hey guys, this is Allison Packard. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know that if you like the show, please, please, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. What is the biggest challenge? of writing a book? I think the biggest challenge was that I self-published. Mm-hmm. And not that, that that in itself is a challenge, but it was a whole new learning curve for me. I think at first I yeah. thought it was like not as sexy or not as accomplished mm-hmm. to, to self-publish. But after writing a book proposal and realizing that the only person I needed to convince was myself, uh-huh. it did not make sense to go begging people to see what I know. And so that was hard to get over my ego, then totally got overzealous and assumed I would be done much faster. And the writing part was actually the easiest part. Oh my God. The writing part, I just had to schedule myself time and know that you couldn't do more than, you know, you couldn't do less than two to three hours at a time because once you get into the zone of writing, you just need to keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just tried really hard to not judge my writing and just go stream of consciousness as much as possible and then go back with edits. I worked 
worked with a couple editors that helped me clean it up. I worked with a layout person who made it look really pretty. Mm. One of my colleagues, Hari Lee, uh, wrote all the scripts for me, like from scratch. And then I got quotes from like a million people and I still don't feel like I have enough. And it's a little frustrating that you would feel that way after having gotten all of that. <laughs> but it is what it is. And I'm already planning version two or the next one. So, so another, <laughs> yeah. the same book, but just the updated version. Potentially. Or? Well, I figured it's games and, you know, things change pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So I figured by two or three years from now, I will probably need to update it. <laughs> so I'm already making those notes. But also, I think I'll probably have a companion. I didn't dive as deeply into performance capture and motion capture as I'd like to. It's one chapter of the book, but I do think it could be a lot more. Amazing. I also think the casting side is very interesting and the directing side. So I'm, I kind of have goals of maybe getting some of those out too. So many, so much more to talk about. <laughs> Lots of ideas. So from the time that you had the idea till now, how long did that take you to write the book? So I started in December, 2020. I finished wow, writing quick. in 2021, uh -huh. December, 2021. And then between December, 2021 and now has been editing, layout and design. That is so that's another huge reason to do self-publishing because the turnaround time is so quick. You're not waiting two years for your book to come out and then like, wait, what did I write again? But I also totally understand why they do that now uh -huh. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, you can't design a book cover until you know how many pages are in the book because the spine thickness depends on the page count. Ah, you can do the front cover, but you can't do the spine. Okay. So everything. It's it, exactly. And so I think that was the part that, you know, I'm, I know what I know, but I definitely didn't. It so was like a whole new education. Yeah. Um, was there having a book? Once, there are, there are a couple books. Some. The best book I read about writing a book was called how to write useful books. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to how to write useful it books. It was excellent. So amazing. <laughs> well, you talked a little bit about needing to change the book because of the changes in the industry. What changes have you seen in the industry in the past few years, especially related to the global pandemic? Yeah. So I think uh, that was the biggest thing is games really broke open. And I mean that because not just in acting, but in developing games, companies are way more open to remote workers in a way that they were never before because of confidentiality. Whereas film and TV, yes, they have a lot of, you know, lockdowns and, and security protocols. Games are crazy confidential mm -hmm. and they don't want anything like storylines leaking. And so because of that, the idea that they would have some remote worker have access to their game pipeline mm -hmm. is is insane. But the fact that they needed to do it, lots of companies have jumped on board and, and it's for the best because now they can access talent who may have had reasons that they couldn't move to certain places. And so I think it really has broke open the entire industry. For actors especially, we would never have considered non-local actors mm -hmm. for 90% of games before COVID. And what percentage of casting do you think is going to non-local actors now? I would say that it's still very small. I'd say that it's still probably like 5 to 5% mm -hmm. maybe. But I believe that non-union is much more flexible. spread, mm -hmm. flexible potentially, especially mm -hmm. because a lot of people were working from home studios mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. And But for union projects, I'd say they're, they're more local, but still people are recording from home. They may be local, but they're still recording from home. So. Now, when you say non-local, are we talking globally? Are we talking 
people from voice actors from other countries and, you know, more casting. If you want an English actor, find somebody that's actually from England or is it more, you know, someone in Seattle or someone in New York? I'd say it's a little bit of both. The combo casts were always a little bit common to do something like uh, Star Wars The Old Republic has some of their actors in the UK and then some in the US just from the early days of when they cast it, they were just all over the place. So Seattle is, there's a handful, but as long as they have a home studio and there's a little bit global, as in if you can find a talent that is at the same level Mm -hmm. as our local talent, which is very, very good, Mm -hmm. then they would be considered. So occasionally we have had talent in other countries, but it's not like a common occurrence. And I think paying people in other countries gets a little bit more complicated Mm -hmm. too. So productions aren't necessarily running to that option. Mm -hmm. Other states though is becoming more common. Texas is becoming more common. Mm -hmm. And then just, yeah, actors who have home studios that are high quality around the states. Amazing. (laughs) So we know that mocap has seen a lot of shifting around too with the pandemic because the very nature of mocap is you have to be in a studio on a, on a set. So can you just talk to a little bit about that and, and what you've seen? Lots of testing. Mm. So it's still very local. I kind of caveat that while actors can work from anywhere, the most of the performance capture jobs and motion capture jobs are in certain markets, mm-hmm. LA being the biggest, but Vancouver has some, San Diego has some, Northern California has some, New York has some, Atlanta has some. So they exist, mm-hmm. but the market is... Is, is in LA. And so I think during the height of the pandemic, people were willing to do like facial capture to, uh, actors' homes and, uh-huh. and kind of help them provide the rigs and maybe do their own makeup. But now that Hollywood got back to normal and we have a standard protocol of testing and guidelines for SAG. Mm-hmm. Most performance capture jobs, we just test the day before and people test before they go on set. Or even if we're doing in-studio callbacks, we test and wow. test, 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 test. Amazing. But it is definitely still a, lo- a local game. Do you feel that that all the testing has slowed down the process? Yes. And it's added costs. Mm. And it's a little inconvenient for actors to have to, you know, get to set the day before. But people are making lots of accommodations Mm -hmm. for certified testing places so that you can send tests and whatnot. But it's definitely an extra line item Mm -hmm. on budgets. And I think it's something that is wonderful for actors to be aware of that it is an extra thing for you all. But it's also an extra thing for production to be to be footing. And so don't complain. Well, I, I think sometimes that gets lost in the in the shuffle of like needing to go, you know, to set the day before mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. But it it's been working, so I keep it that way. <laughs> so, what advice do you have then for voice actors who are looking to break into motion capture? Learn how your body moves. Acting classes, mm-hmm. uh, the best. I think there's some confusion between what motion capture and performance capture is. So, I always like to kind of start there. Perform- Performance capture includes face, voice, maybe Mm -hmm. fingers, but motion capture is typically just body and it doesn't include your voice performance. There's a lot of work in that. It tends to follow the stunts a little bit more and kind of the how you get Mm -hmm. the work and Mm -hmm. how the work is hired out and the people that are hiring Mm -hmm. for those jobs. For performance capture, it's much more similar to like proper casting Mm. in terms of, you know, finding the actors, so character briefs, agents, or direct connections, and then trying to to find the best actor for the role. Mm -hmm. I think one of the hardest things for voice actors is that you've worked so hard to pull your performance in to fit into this microphone in your booth. Mm. And then we're asking you to 
to like do the complete opposite, right? So getting comfortable in your body, going to regular acting classes, improv, things that allow you, even yoga and things that allow you to just know that your fingertips are here and your toes are there. And (laughs) you would be surprised at how disconnected we can be Mm. from our bodies. And that alone, being able to, when you've got those suits on, you've got no hair, you've got no makeup, you don't have costumes, Mm. you don't really have props. They're usually made out of PVC pipe. So (laughs) your imagination is all you have. And just being able to really show that in your body is, is it. Do you, do voice actors also find that it's challenging having to memorize the lines? It's really fascinating to me because I could not do it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have in the past, but it's just not my my thing. So I am so impressed by actors. I think there's some apps now that will help you memorize. Yes, yeah. Rehearsal but, Pro, David Lawrence's app, that's <laughs> one of go. them. There's um, We Audition. So I think it hurts my heart when people aren't off book mm-hmm. because I want them to get the best, you know, opportunity. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it is not always the best opportunity when you're not off book. That said, we're humans Mm -hmm. and we understand and we would much rather the performance be and the words are an afterthought. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. if we know what you're saying Mm -hmm. by your performance, it's okay if the words weren't perfect. We would much rather that be the case than stumbling or line asking for a line or in in which, of course, that happens. That happens (laughs) too. just beating up your mics, Mike. No problem. They're sturdy. Yeah. So it is, there's a lot of memorizing though. Yeah. I think the pro Like on camera. Yeah. So voice actors, I think are uniquely prepared for performance capture roles because of the voice aspect of the role. And when on camera actors come in, they may have memorized and can do the blocking, but when they get in Mm. the VO booth, they still have to handle all those combat lines or the efforts or those types of things. So it's, I really, the skill is in being able to do all the things and kind of transfer your performance between capture media, which that I know you were asking kind of about the future. Like that's what I think the future is. Actors who can blend their performance seamlessly across whatever it is that's capturing because IP Mm. is already across everything. Mm. We're already seeing app to film to, you know, and even just at Tribeca, there are a couple of films that were basically unreal engine based game games, if you will, but just rendered by Unreal Engine. And so there's already this massive crossover between IP and media and technology. So just knowing how not letting any of that stuff impede your most authentic Mm. performance. And do you teach performance capture, motion capture workshops or classes? I do. I've stopped a little bit right now just to get the book out Mm -hmm. the door, but I will definitely be teaching more. And at helpacademy.com is all of the help network classes. And we're always adding, uh, new teachers as well besides myself to make sure that we're covering everyone's perspective. Amazing. I'll share those whenever I see them or feel free to to nudge me. If there are any other performance or motion capture classes that you recommend outside of help? I think it never hurts to understand the technology, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's necessary Mm -hmm. to take the, like anything that makes a reel or anything like that. Mm -hmm. When you're looking for performance capture jobs, we're looking at on-camera reels. A lot of times we're doing Mm self-tapes. So we're going to look at how you move in that self-tape and go from there. And what about any advice for voice actors or people who are aspiring voice actors on really making your audition stand out in a sea of talent? I think the best tip I can give is trying to bring some nonverbal sounds into your audition, Mm -hmm. non-word sounds. So whether that's breath or a sigh or a laugh or a cough or whatever, 
anything that can that isn't going to be thought of by someone else. And it's not that they won't think of it exactly, but mm -hmm. they won't think of the exact same thing. And so yeah. just peppering in a little bit of personality that brings that line off of the page and kind of allows us to visualize what's happening, where you are, how far away that person is just from the projection level or how you kind of were out of breath when you started mm -hmm. it. <laughs> the old burpees in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> I think that people have forgotten that technique. Squat jumps. I'm always like, squat jumps. Oh, those will get me out of shape. Out of Maybe breath. <laughs> because we haven't been in the studio. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> we should do a whole like jazzercise uh, <laughs> class. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> well, it has been so lovely sitting down with you today and getting to hear so much about the wealth of knowledge that you possess. We're so excited for the book. Thank you. I can't wait until that comes out. Thank you so much, Julia, for talking to us today. Thank you for having me. And uh, guys, I mean, if you stuck around this long, make sure that you are subscribed. And if you want to share this with a friend, go ahead and click that share button. You know how to do it. Share it on your Twitter. Why not? Let's make it the week of Twitter. Okay. Share it on Twitter and you will get a virtual high five from me. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Allison's Wonderland, where we explore the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a review. For more episodes of Allison's Wonderland, please visit us at www.allisonpacker.com. See you next week. <laughs>